This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. Alright. This week we are dissecting 1981's Night School, directed by Ken Hughes, but first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, let's see. Life updates. I actually don't um, think there's anything super huge for the first time in a while. <laughs> um, none of us are sick. No one died. Wow. <laughs> no, no big firsts unless, I don't know, Liam threw out an effort or something. No. That I don't know about. Still just saying dog. It's dog. Dog, dog. I mean, dog. It, dog. Is the, it is the cutest way anyone has ever said dog. So. It really is. You just could not imagine saying the word dog could be so cute. But it's like so freaking cute. It goes, dog? It's like a whisper in the middle. Yeah. And then really aggressive in the beginning and the end. It's like, dog? I don't know. I can't even do it. It's too cute. It's, it is very cute. Yeah, his doctors are mad that that's all he'll say. But you know, yeah, have, having children are weird. They're like, oh, he only says dog. Okay, he has to go to a speech therapist. I'm like, seriously, are you kidding me? I mean, sure. it's just. I mean, I told you, like when you were talking to me about this, I was like, I still am under the impression that that child is going to walk or talk like he walked, where he just is like, I'm not doing this bullshitting around. Like, um, you know take a couple steps fall down i will walk when i'm ready to run and i think he's just going to form a full sentence at some point right yeah, just all of a sudden yeah. like, he's gonna can you get that out of the fridge for me <laughs> yeah like he's literally gonna look up and be like dad i don't like this game <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Fuck? but that would be great i mean that's what i hope for so. i know it was you know they ask these questionnaires so he just turned 18 months um this week and so they, we go to the doctor and they have all these milestones they're supposed to reach. He hasn't been to the doctor since he was a year old. And it's funny. They're like asking a variety of questions like to try and assess where he is developmentally. And so it's like, oh, are they, um, you know, are they asking for things? Are they um, playing games? Are they, are they climbing stairs? Are they running? Yes, yes, climbing, running, anything physical this kid does to an extreme. Like, we cannot contain him. And then it gets to the questions are like, 
And some of them, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, there's no way an 18-month-old is doing this out there. It's like, oh, um, are they naming their body parts? That was one of the questions. I'm like, he knows where his head is. And, like, if we say, like, you know, like, oh, we're going to put your shoes on, he, like, sticks his foot out. But, you know, he's not going foot, head, eyes. Like, he can't name them. He knows what they are. And then it was like, is he putting two words together? Not even asking me if he's saying words yet. Is he putting two words together? Like go outside or want milk? And I'm like, what 18 month old does that? That's like two year old shit. They're like, is he uh, taking apart and rebuilding car engines? You're like, what's going on? <laughs> Basically, that's how I feel sometimes when I'm going down these. And I'm like, uh, who let me know please let me meet these children like little baby geniuses that they yeah. have to put those on there just in case he's like a virtuoso or something like i guess they've got to find him early baby him mozart yeah test him <laughs> but yeah that's our big life update crazy big kid who's just absolutely running around and and is the cutest he is really cute i've been posting him more on twitter um, I feel like all my Twitter people need to see his cuteness. And he's yeah. like very into like he's into all the Halloween decor, which makes my heart happy. We um, have an inflatable Mickey. Oh, yeah. That that's he, like, so cute. <laughs> goes up to and like points at him. And I'm like, yeah, it's Mickey because he loves Mickey Mouse. And he'll like high five him. It's really cute. Um, yeah, the picture you sent today was um, literally melting my heart in the middle of the floor uh, at work. So those, I mean, the little overalls and stuff just fucking kill me. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I do appreciate it. It, it always, like, picks my day up. Um, what did I do? Oh, I covered Beyond Fest. Um, so I don't know if I talked about this in the last show. I know I said I was covering stuff, but um, I was approached by uh, Michael Rothman, who is the editor of Consequences Sound, um, and he asked me to cover Beyond Fest for them, which was really awesome and a, and a huge honor. Um, so I drove out like four different nights to Pomona and went to the Mission Tiki Drive-In, and I got to cover like a slew of different movies, and you can find all the reviews at um, Consequences Sound if you just like Google Beyond Fest um, or type in Beyond Fest to their search bar. Uh, but the really cool thing that I got to do was see the world premiere of Freaky, um, which is the new movie from Christopher Landon, uh, who made Happy Death Day, which we've covered on the show. Um, and then it was just really nice because I am fortunate enough to um, have made friends with some of the people involved in that project. Um, Ryan Turks, one of the producers over at Blumhouse, and he was the first person who ever gave me a freelance gig um, in the horror journalism world. Um, he was there, and Michael Kennedy, who used to be one of the hosts of Attack of the Queer Wolf, uh, is a screenwriter, and he was there, and my friend Sam Weinman, who is working on the Queer Shutter doc, uh, so another filmmaker. But they were all there, and like since coming down to LA, I've been here for three months now um and it's been nice and it's been cool but like and i've made friends with my roommates which is really nice but it was just really awesome to see familiar faces and kind of feel like oh yeah like i moved down here for a reason and this was it 
So Ryan decided to move down to LA when the whole world was shut down. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't the best timing, but that was a, it was a cool little like up boost and just like a reminder. It was the first time I think I felt like I made the right decision. Uh, Like I never thought I made a wrong decision. It's not like I was like, Oh, this was the wrong choice, but there were definitely times where I was like, is this what I should have done though? Like, was there a different decision that I could have made? But when Michael like hit me up, and was like, do you want to cover this for us? And then I got to go and like go to a world premiere of a movie, even though it was in a very different circumstance than what the, you know a normal Hollywood premiere looks like. It was just really awesome to be able to be there for that. Like they blocked off two rows for the whole cast and crew, and they showed up in like convertibles, and they were all like incredibly excited. And it was just really fun to see like that much um, enjoyment taking place and it's great it's an awesome movie uh you can again you that that review is also up i was actually the first review to go up by the way so oh so fancy uh, to the point where uh, michael messaged me is like is there an embargo on this because no one else has posted their review yet and i was like i didn't see any and like i got paranoid because i was that's a big no-no in the film journalism world like if you break embargo you're kind of fucked so i was like holy shit like that I didn't see anything, so I was like going through all of the emails, everything, just checking everything. And I was like, I don't see anything, man. And then probably like twenty minutes later, NBC Universal actually like uh, messaged me on Instagram. It was like, we want to use your uh, or like if you say yes to this, it gives us the right to use words from your review um, in promotional material. And I was like, oh, okay, yes. So like, I mean, I was- that's a good sign too for people like isn't that always sort of like if there's an embargo for big films before they come out that like that's a little worrisome like why don't you want there to be early reviews oh yeah exactly yeah no it's if there's an embargo on a film usually they know it sucks uh it's it's like that movie what's that movie that just came out i covered it it's called the reckoning reckoning um it's reckoning reckoning it's um shit i'm gonna forget his name neil marshall he directed uh hellboy the descent dog soldiers and it's awful and it uh-huh. it debuted at fantasia fs and they didn't let anyone review it so you like just knew it was going to be bad like it debuted at fantasia and then i think there was like a month-long embargo on it afterwards because they were just trying to pick up distribution. So, uh, yeah, that's how you know. Yeah. And I'm out here, you know, like I try to say something positive about every movie and like that one, (laughs) it was bad. I I was at the drive-in watching it and I actually knew a couple of the people there and they were texting me and they're like, is this as bad as I think it is? And I was like, it's not good. And they're like, they left. And I was like, I have to stay because I have to review it. But they were like, yeah, we're out. (laughs) So uh, we out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you feel so inclined, you can check that out. But that was really cool. And um, 100% go see Freaky or rent it when you can. Uh, do it out Friday the 13th. Freaky Friday the 13th. Yes. November this year. So yeah. And weeks. it's hitting theaters. Uh, so, you know, if you feel like you should do that, you can go, I guess. But I would encourage a drive-in setting or waiting for VOD. Uh, but super, super worth it, and the movie's really fun and charming, and it's just like Christopher Landon has become our new slasher, yes. like, 
like director. You know? He is. He's like our generation's Carpenter Craven, just delivering that material. So um, I can't wait to see it at the drive-in. I yeah. feel very lucky that we have one here in Sacramento that gets a ton of movies, always new releases, and they'll do old stuff. Right now they're doing like 13 days of Halloween and just yeah. playing a ton of different horror stuff, and it's awesome. Um, so I'm super excited to be able to see it in a way that – I feel comfortable because I'm not ready to go back to theaters yet. Nope. I'll hard pass on that. <laughs> but, you know, to each their own. Every state is different. Every city is different. You know, everybody is exposed to different people. So, like, I'm not I'm not here to judge. No, no, no. That yeah. capacity, but. My um, buddy Tommy lives out in Chicago, and he went to the theater, and he said he only felt comfortable because they had all the guidelines, but also they <laughs> – literally post someone in the theater to if you take your mask off they like make you put it back on so they yeah. literally have someone standing guard watching in the theater which i know wasn't happening here um we're in california but i also haven't heard anything recently because they shut most of the theaters down again real fast yeah they i know our um best friends derek and gina just went and saw something tenant they saw tenant was it tenant yeah oh okay Remember? Um, yeah, that's like all Derek has cared about for like months. Yeah, that's all anybody's cared about for months is just somehow being able to see this movie. Um, and I was like, wait, the theaters are open? That's nuts. Like, I just felt like that was never going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. They did all. open back in LA and they closed them back down. So I don't oh, know. Oh, they closed back down? I mm-hmm. think they're, they're still open in SAC. We had a spike in cases last week, so they might be open again. But Yeah, California saw its highest numbers yesterday since July. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Go us. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's rough. Um, B, you watched a bunch of spooky stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. I love this time of year for a thousand reasons, but I also love it because Ben always gets really excited to watch the Halloween movies with me. And so we try and watch all the ones that are like Halloween based and most people this time of year, this is when they watch horror movies. Ben gets, so we're browsing through trying to find movies to watch that are Halloween movies, not scary movies or horror movies, but Halloween movies, which we know there's a difference, but apparently the rest of the world doesn't. And it's just like, oh, it's a horror movie. So it's a Halloween movie. It's like, no, those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. He was getting so mad. He was like going through the list and he's like, this is, this doesn't have anything. He's like, I don't get it. It has nothing to do with Halloween. And I'm like, yeah, it's just a horror movie. He's like, okay, but why is it in the Halloween movie list? I'm like, well, people aren't like me and they don't watch horror movies all year round. And people aren't like you who are married to somebody who watches horror movies year round. Yep. So we have been going through and making sure just to help us like get in the season and the spirit that we watch like some of the, the Halloween, Halloween movies. Um, so we watch... Haunted Mansion, um, which is one of Ben's favorite movies. And I really like that movie. It like gets bad credit, but I really like it a lot. Um, I just think it's super fun. I think the effects are actually really good and have held up over time really well. Um, and yeah, I love the ride and I just think it's a great, like fun family movie. Um, and then we watched all of the Halloween Town movies. Okay, actually, that's a lie. We watched Halloween one, two, and three. So you watched Halloween, Halloween Town two, and Halloween 
Town High. Town High, yes. But we did not return to return Halloween Town with Sarah Paxton. Right. Um, and you know, those movies are just pure nostalgia. I was thinking about it. I don't think I could get my niece who's 16 to watch them. Like, I think if she did, she'd probably be like, Oh my god, this is terrible, Auntie. Like, what the fuck? But um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the first one, especially I watched the other day, and I was like, obviously for me it's nostalgia and i love it but even just watching it i was like whoo this is cheesy as oh they're so cheesy and they're such like you know low budget tv movies um but in just like the most heartwarming halloween way um Mm -hmm. but yeah definitely like if for you did not grow up watching these movies you're not part of our generation like this isn't like the stamp of you gotta watch it. It's not. Yeah, it's not one of those. I think you got to be inundated when you're younger, you know. Yeah, which I hear a lot of people. Which I mean, I obviously can't. I think they're very different scenarios, but I do hear that's like everybody's kind of hot take on Hocus Pocus, which I feel like has only gotten crazy popular like the last couple years. Yes, before like, it really was like an. It was a cult film, mm-hmm. and then it was popular with our, our generation because, like, ABC Family always plays it. And well, Disney Channel played it when Disney, Disney Channel, Channel played it, it when they. Mm-hmm. And Disney Channel debuted when we were kids, so like our generation, it was like a big deal because they played that shit like daily. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we are super exposed to it but it really was like sort of this like oh like 90s kids get it kind of thing um with an incredible like it was a bomb it like oh, it do well at the box office. but this was like a theatrical film this is not some like disney channel original or like abc original movie um it's got fucking bet midler in it like are you kidding me yeah Mick garris wrote it adam yeah. shankman directed it like it's a big Sarah film. jessica parker like it's um, I love, 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 love Hocus Focus. I'm a proud cult member of the Hocus Focus cult. Um, and I do think that some people feel like they don't get it because they don't have the nostalgia. Um, and I don't know. I still think like if you've never gotten around to watching Hocus Pocus, I think you can find things to enjoy about it more than you can like the Halloween Town movies. Oh, a hundred percent. So, like the the humor. Well, because first of all, because it wasn't made for the Disney Channel, the humor is very adult, uh-huh. um, especially with the witches. The witches are the horniest people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, no, especially all, Sarah of, all of the stuff with them, where they are in Gary Marshall's house, yep. where he's like the devil, and it's um, Penny Marshall. That's her first name. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. His sister, like playing his wife in the movie. There's so in like the bus driver, there's so many jokes that just like a couple years ago, I was like, oh my God, I now know what that means. Like it just completely went over my head as a kid. And like now I just get the biggest kick out of it. And I'm like, well, now that makes sense to me. Yeah, and stuff with Billy too. Uh-huh. Like, no. I and like the well, and like what Billy is, that's um oh my god, my brain is failing me. Wanna today. What's his name? The guy who plays him, he's super famous. Doug Jones. I mean, yeah, that's Doug Jones. Like you have a, a like one of the most famous like body costume like monster actors of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, like that movie is stacked to the gills. I think it's much more. There's much more to find to enjoy in Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town if you're not from that era. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, um, I can get that. Then we also watch Beetlejuice, which I guess isn't really like a Halloween movie, but it like pseudo uh, is. Um, yeah. And actually, it's been a couple of years. I haven't seen it in a few years. And I just love that movie so much. It just. Michael Keaton's so good in that movie. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was like the very beginning of his career. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, so he did that, right? And then he did. Batman. He did Batman. And because right of Beetlejuice, everyone was like, there's no way this guy can be Batman. Um, but Burton believed in him. And like, uh, I, every time I watch that movie, I just, I love it more because mm-hmm. I just, we have, Keaton went through a string in like the 80s, early 90s where he was allowed to play like these comedic roles, but he still hasn't, like that movie's the only one that really let him just go wild. Uh, and it's a shame because he's really good at it. Yeah, it's just visually stunning. It's insanely well acted. It's so funny and just mm-hmm. weird and imaginative and just like, you know, they like intentional like B horror styling and it's all just the perfect combination. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect combination and it's, yeah, it's so good. That's why, I don't know, these movies are the best. This time of year is the best. It just makes my heart happy. Yep. Um. Uh- did we talk about this in last week? We no, we said we were talking about this it. week. Yeah, we saved it. Okay. So we watched separately, but Ryan and I both recently watched um, Extraordinary, um, which um, we watched it because um, Gina came over and was like, oh, I've got this movie, but like we have to watch it together because um, I just think it's going to be super fun. And it has um, Will Forte in it who like Ben and I love, we loved um, Last Man on Earth. Like I, that was, that's my era of SNL. Um, And so I love anything that cast does. And we're like, okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. And so we all get together. We all get a little high. Like we all sit on the couch. We're like so ready to get into this like movie, this like weird movie. And like we're a half hour into it and we're like, all right, this is like pretty weird, but pretty funny, like really funny. But where the fuck we had like told Gina we were convinced she lied to us like Will Forte was not in the movie, and she's like no he is and we're, we're like it's like British or something there's no way he's in this movie like this doesn't make any sense she's like he's on the cover you guys she's getting really mad at us and then he pops up in like the best way possible yeah because he's the bad guy yeah uh, he is the villain and he is literally there to chew scenery in the most like melodramatic soap operatic but weird like soap opera meets paranormal way ever um the movie's irish and so it's Mm -hmm. if you if you guys aren't familiar with like british and irish movies uh they get lumped together sometimes but like irish movies are very different than british movies and also their sense of humor is so offbeat and like weird and like really smart but dry like and like i do think it's distinctively different than british humor because like british humor like i I look at things like black adder or monty python and those are funny but like when i get into irish humor stuff like i think there's just something a little more sardonic and like funnier about it um i don't know why but there's just something about like i don't know every character is like 
as even in this movie, every character is hilarious uh-huh. and they all like they're all like super weird <laughs> and super dry and like very I don't know. It's it's definitely worth a hundred percent worth seeing because it's it's just it's about this like woman who can communicate with the dead. She has paranormal talents. Um but she doesn't like to use them because she accidentally like injured someone in her past. So she kind of just like ignores them, but she's forced into using them in this like big scheme that is built up around her. Uh-huh. And it's really smartly done. Like all the stuff, it's so low budget, but it doesn't feel low budget. No. Uh, and just like, like I said, like it's just how they do things is really, it's just like really smart how they put things together and how they do all of her paranormal stuff. I personally, one of my favorite parts of it is all the weird videos of her as a kid with her dad uh-huh. making videos. Like that shit was hilarious no, to me. It's all just super funny. and But exactly in such a weird like off-putting way where you're like laughing or you're going like, oh, that's funny. But then you're like, is it? Or like – is this movie you just keep thinking like oh this is so weird but it's good right like you're questioning the fact because it's just not um like a typical like type of humor style that we're used to watching here in the state yeah i think yeah i think the biggest thing is like pacing right like pacing is so different than in the states like comedies are all about timing in the states you know like you can feel the beats of a comedy. Like you can feel a punchline coming most of the time. And like, I think that's one of the big differences when I watch like, and uh, like watch British or Irish movies is I'm always just like, was that a joke? Right. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what we kept doing. It's like, okay. Yeah. But a hundred percent we're checking oh, out. Yeah. It really like, it came out. Um, 2019. It, it came out 2019 oh, and it kind of just slipped under the radar because it hit South by Southwest in March and then it hit Ireland in September and then it just hit VOD with no like acclaim over here. Yeah, it's uh, on Showtime right now. Um, yeah. So if you have Showtime or I mean you can run it or what we, this is exactly what we did is we paid the $11 for Showtime and then we get to watch other movies this month and they have a lot of horror stuff on there right now. ton of slashers that we've covered um mm-hmm. on there and we got to watch this so that's always like my hot tip and then i just cancel it i have it not auto renew and so i paid 11 dollars to watch this which i think is totally fair four of us watched it um and then we also get access to a bunch of other stuff for a month yep yeah that's usually what i do so i'll just sign up for a month at a time and binge stuff mm-hmm. yeah and then once fair. we've watched all the things that they have on there we get rid of it and then same thing when it pops up again we're like okay we just count that as like the rental fee yeah, that's smart, actually. That's a good way to look at it, yeah. the rental fee. I mean, that's what you're doing anyways with all the other movies. No, exactly. And, like, we rent – I mean, you know, we probably spend, I don't know, maybe, like, $50 a month at most on rentals um, if we're if there's a lot of new releases. And there was quite a few um, over the summer that we were getting. Um, or, like, when we paid for some of the premium ones, like, we got Scoob and Bill and Ted, and those were 20 But still, I'm like, yeah. we're not going to the theater, which is at least $50 for Ben and I to go if we get, like, snacks or anything, which we do. <laughs> like, for the whole experience and for two tickets, it's, like, 30 bucks. Like, I just feel like sometimes people need to change their mindset on how they think about that. Like, it's always like, oh, it's not streaming anywhere. It's like, but it is because you can rent it. Like, yeah. If you say it's not streaming anywhere, I think it's not available. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a we- streaming has done this weird thing to us where we like we think it's free, right? Because you get used to the cost and it becomes part of your. And it's like, well, it's not free. You're still paying. Like, I mean, and like there are definitely months where I only watch like two things on Netflix. So I'm like, well, I basically paid six bucks to watch mm-hmm. two movies, like six bucks each, yeah. because you know I pay for twelve twelve dollars for Netflix or whatever. So. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the pandemic is definitely going to change a lot of that mindset and all these theaters shutting down and kind of numbers coming out. It's, it's going to change. I, I mean, I've talked about it before and I, I just think it's going to change the theatrical. There's going to be movies that are a theater movie. And then a lot of these movies that aren't, are not going to be anymore. Like the movies that don't need to be seen on a big screen, like that don't warrant it. Like there are certain movies, I'm sorry that to me just don't warrant a big screen, like, like appearance. Um, you know, I want to see the big action blockbusters and like the superhero movies and like even some of the more like epic, like beautifully filmed stuff on a big screen. But there are certain like movies that I have definitely seen in theaters that I did not, I didn't need to see the turning in theaters, <laughs> you know, like, um, so yeah, I'm a, especially if you have kids, like the whole new, like, vod where it's in theaters and at home for like 20 bucks at the same time like that is so worth it to people who have kids especially if you're wanting to like watch a grown-up film like once they go to bed like it's just Mm -hmm. really nice to be like oh we can still have that experience and not have to worry about a babysitter or like any anything like that like not saying that those nights aren't nice and like needed to get out of the house but sometimes just being able to have like in that opportunity to be a part of the world, but also in your house is really nice. Right. Yep. Totally agree. Um, well, the movie that we are covering this week is 1981's Night School. I am so excited. Yeah, B and I have both like we I think we both watched this for the first time last year yeah. or the year before. Last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And like neither of us, somehow neither of us had seen it, even though in the slasher world, it's like got a good reputation and like a pretty good following. And we have friends who really like this movie. And I think it at some point it hit Shudder last year because it's not on there right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, yeah. I watched um, it on Shudder for sure last year. Yeah. And so we both were like, oh, like, and I, I think we didn't even like plan to watch it together either. Like we both just randomly saw it at separate times and it was so good. Um yeah, so 1981's Night School, the synopsis. <laughs> you pull this off uh, IMDb? Maybe. Yeah. You can always tell the IMDb one compared to anywhere else because IMDb one is always like, what's the quickest way I can get this over with? Uh-huh. <laughs> Who's been decapitating the innocent girls at a local night school? The police are baffled. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, here's a police in Boston begin to examine a series of murders connected to a local night school. All of the victims are female students who have been decapitated in what appears to be a ritual beheading. Suspicion falls on one of the professors. Yeah, that's much more detailed. There you go. Best of both yeah. worlds. There we go. You guys can decide what you like better. Uh, alternative, alternatively titled Terror Eyes. <laughs> But not terrorize the word, not like I terrorized you. Terror and then eyes. Yeah, like your eyes are full of terror. Which is bad. That's a bad title. I didn't even make, because I didn't say it out loud when I was doing this, I didn't even make the terrorize connection. That must be why it's called that, right? It has to be, because also terrorize makes it sound like (laughs) 
like like there's some sort of ability with the eyes happening like they look at you and you get scared or something and the best part is the killer wears a a motorcycle helmet so you don't even see the killer's eyes the entire movie um so i guess it's the eyes of his victims sure yeah like they're so like they have terror in their eyes right that's what Uh, they're trying to say yeah and then this is a great one psychosis too but again spelled uh for some fucking reason it's it's in another language right sure it's spelled p-s-i-c-o-s-i-s and then two uh, the film was originally uh, initially released in Spain under this title in an attempt to mislead the public into assuming it was a sequel to Psycho two years before the actual sequel came out. That is so odd to me how that happens so often in Italy, Europe, Spain, like where they're like, let's just fucking trick people. It's like that one movie. Um, I covered it for the one that's supposed to be like a Texas Chainsaw movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah night, night killer um and it's it was marketed as texas chainsaw massacre 3 so the way it's spelled ryan is how it's spelled in portuguese which makes sense oh okay that makes sense got it i will forgive it for its transgressions then uh yeah they're always just trying to like pawn these movies off and then there's another one that we've covered too where they tried to call it like a suspiria sequel wasn't it oh yeah, of, uh, yeah, yeah yeah giallos we covered i it had to be, yeah. Because um, I don't think any American movie would try to sell itself. Suspiria, Suspiria. Yeah. yeah. And it was like alternatively titled like Suspiria too, and we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they just like take a popular movie and they're like, sure, <laughs> like this why title not? on it? Like, oh, good lord! It's like that. There's that other one, the Japanese one, that's like an Evil Dead uh-huh. movie, and it's like, okay, it's not Evil Dead, but sure, no, not at all. Whatever. Um, um I think Night School's the best title out of the three. Absolutely, yes. Um, it was released September 11th, 1981. Um, so there's a good thing to come out of that day. Um, budget and box office. So $1.2 million budget versus a uh, whopping $1.6 in box office. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I could see this not like, I mean, what? This is post- 1981, uh, this is like the year of slasher. Yeah, but it's just like it's such a weird. It's a weird combo, and it's not like the other it's films. It's so European. Like it feels so European. Um, it's not like one of the you know quote unquote slasher American slashers. Well, yeah, um, what we had like My Bloody Valentine, The Prowler, The Burning, Happy Birthday to Me. Um, like all these movies from 1981. Um, right. That was, like most like mostly like aping Halloween or like at least pulling influence from Halloween. Um, and so, it's, it's like Halloween or Psycho, basically. Right. Oh, part two, um, Friday, part two. Oh, that was, yeah. Hell Night, Graduation Day, Bloody Birthday, Holy Home Sweet Home. I was like, I know we've covered a lot of 1981 films. It was like the year of slashers. Final Exam. Which we haven't covered yet, but we will eventually. Um, I don't like that movie, but we'll cover it. Uh, no, it's always interesting if you guys are listening for the first time or like, you know, just jumping in and don't know. Um, so slashers is, an emotion, is a mostly American-made genre. It's a genre that is very one of the very few genres that is um, specifically credited to America because it was codified by Halloween, which was John Carpenter's, you know, magnum opus that could be argued by some. Um, and it is, uh, 
but it was very, very influenced by giallos, which were, um, you know, mostly what giallo is French, right? Um, or Italian, Italian, Italian. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there are these movies that slip through the cracks like these that feel very European, um, cause night school does. And even well in pieces that we just covered feels incredibly in it, it. It was like the cast and crew was mostly European, but like they, they still like are slasher movies, but they're so they're like this interesting hybrid. Um, wasn't very well reviewed. Uh, Vincent Canby of the New York Times dismissed the film as not very scary story in, in a short review. Variety called it a low-budget exercise in terror, offering very little diversion or novelty for fans of the already gutted psychotic slasher genre. Uh, Richard Harrington of the Washington Post wrote that the film aspires to something more, but ends up falling back on a half-dozen decapitations and the grisly uncovering of the victims' heads. He added, if the script is as... Uh, it's a little faulty and obvious. Mark Irwin's cinematography almost makes up for it. Irwin works with a subtle palette, and his 1981 Boston is suffused with the vivid dampness and ember glow of Jack the Ripper's London without the fog. Uh, and then lastly, retrospective assessment has noted the film's mixture of slasher films with Italian Gialli films and police procedurals. Film scholar Adam Rockoff deemed the film grim and one of the slickest looking slasher films that I can agree with. Yeah. So, I mean, it's our classic case of non-horror fans reviewing slashers in the 80s and not understanding the – I mean, no defense, this genre was like literally just starting this year. Like this is the year it was like the formula had taken off. Like we're getting these, you know, mass amounts of movies – in this vein um and just nobody understood it or liked it and yet they still reviewed it so here we are i mean you know the times variety this was like a big release and nobody yeah. knows what this movie is that's what's just so crazy like i always wish i could just go back like, i know that's what i if i swear i'd be so boring if i had a time machine that's what i'd do i'd be like go pick some of these like movies that were like skewered and reviews and then go back to the year they came out and just see what the world was like and see like were they at the theater like what was going on like i want to know the whole story yeah no i would love to know like just like the and like i don't know one day i'll have to like look up like what were the big movies that year like what was critically acclaimed you know like mm -hmm. well let's see know. interesting yeah what like what was big that year Let's see. So, Best picture was Ordinary People. I've never heard of that. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It was a surprise and major upset win for G British producer David Putnam's low-budget Chariots of Fire, directed by Hugh Hudson. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Who knows? 1981. Yeah, most of those horror movies weren't reviewed well, and now a lot of them are revered as classics. So, yeah. I mean, uh, when you type in, like, popular movies, you know, it's Evil Dead, Halloween 2. Um, it's a lot of, like, horror movies for sure. Friday the 13th 2. Um, right. Escape a from lot of these are like Oh, you know, Indiana Jones, Mad Max 2. Like, it was of that age. Well, and a lot of these, just, you know, a lot of these movies that were in the glut of the halloween aftermath got dismissed so yeah yeah and they got and i mean honestly this movie probably just got lost in the shuffle of all the other films of this particular year because there's a shit ton of them 
Yeah. Well, at least we're looking back and now recognizing. I don't know if you guys can hear that. My dog is like aggressively snoring next to me. <laughs> Which one is a shadow or Riggs? Oh my God. He's like laying in front of our front door like he's some kind of guard dog. Alrighty. Dude. Let's talk about this um, poster. This poster. <laughs> Um, okay. So our poster is, um, basically like, I think the composition is meant to be like a, a pin board. Um, and it's got like a report card attached to it and then an ID card. Um, it's all in black and white. It's like a bulletin board at school, yeah, like right? A, well, I mean. It's like the board where they post your grades. Sure. Yeah. Something um, or like their personal, like, you know, in your dorm room when you have like a pin board of stuff right. um, or bulletin board, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so it's a report card for Kindle College Night School report card. A is, and it has, so I like this, right? So they use this to create the taglines. Um, a is for Apple, B is for bad, C is for co-ed, D is for dead, F is for failing to keep your head. Yeah, I love the rhyme. That's great. And I love the use of uh, like connecting, okay, this is like set in a school. Let's use a report card to like send this messaging. I'm all for that using sort of basic um, like icon imagery um, as opposed to like photographic or illustrative. Um, and then it's got a cut in half ID card of our um, – main character, I guess we'll call her Eleanor. Um, and then you look down below and then we see night school, a lesson in terror. So the second tagline, and then your typical, um, list of credits. Um, I, I don't hate this poster. I like the idea. I think it could have succeeded a little bit better. I would have loved to see it not in black and white. Um, I'm sure that version exists. Um, it's, just, it's just a little plain, right? Um, yeah, it's just – it's uh, oh, the, yeah, there is a version in color. Um, I don't know if that was done like retrospectively. Is that the right word? Like afterwards? Yeah. Um, retrospectively. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that was done afterwards, like when they've redone it um, or not, because it's like a different picture of her. Um, but I think it's just the composition itself, like the framing, how they've laid everything out lacks interest. Everything just kind of looks like it's placed there. But I love the idea. I love the concept. Right. One, it's like you, I mean, I've been doing this with you long enough now that you've taught me how like lines draw your mm -hmm. eyes to things and like my eyes don't know where to go. And my eyes don't know where to go on this so much so that I can tell you right now is the first time I've ever read the report card yeah. with the rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> like I always just look at the title. I'm like, yeah, it's night school. Yeah, like, like, yep, that looks like a report card. on to the report card because it's white. And so it's the brightest thing on the page and it's at the top. So we see it before we see the bottom. The bottom also is white, but because there's so much heavy black text, it gives the appearance of being dark. So our eye is drawn to the white, like report card. But what happens is that there's so much text on it that we immediately go to look for something else because our brain's telling us that's not it. Right. Because if you're looking at a poster, you're looking for headlines and that's not a headline, that's a tagline. And so then your eye goes down, you see night school, and then you're you just leave. You don't really know where to go. So yeah. it's kind of it's it's aimless for sure. If anything, 
could have helped, like just basic changes. They could have put the type of night school in white, and that would have really helped um, make it pop out against that gray background instead of having it black. Um, they could have reversed it out, um, and that would have helped a lot, just a basic change. But yeah, just needs to be laid out a little bit better. Yeah. But I like um, it. Yeah. B read the taglines. The only extra one is man is the only animal that kills for pleasure. Is that true? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. I've also never killed anyone for pleasure <laughs> or for, or for not pleasure. I mean, no, I've never killed anyone. So um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'd be interested to see. I feel like there's probably some other species out there. I know dolphins have sex for fun. So yeah, but so do humans. Yeah, but they've always said, like, dolphins are the only other species that has sex for fun. Oh, but aren't dolphins, like, really similar to people or something? Well, yeah, but, like, yes, they are. I mean, they're hyper-intelligent. Like, they're really, really smart. Um, I don't know. All that DNA stuff. Sure. Um, um, okay. So yeah. there are some animals. They call it surplus killings. And some of them are honey badgers. <laughs> okay. Um, spiders. Mm. Um, wolves, jaguars, black bears, polar bears, raccoons, coyotes, a shit ton of animals. Um, I've just debunked that tagline. Lots of animals debunked. do surplus killings, not just for... Keep screaming, Mythbusters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that tagline is busted. Uh, no sequel, but it could have had one. Yeah. Yeah. Our killer survives, it, so... Yes, she does. Um, oh, also, real quick about the poster again. The only thing I will say is I love the uh, Killers Ensemble in this film, and I think they kind of missed an opportunity to highlight that. Yep, 100%. Yeah. I mean, to not have your killer on it is very a very interesting thing to do for any sort of horror movie, actually. Uh, especially if, like, you're trying to maybe – I can understand you're like, oh, you know, the the – the female lead, like she's attractive, but like they don't really show that. Or, yeah, they don't show the yeah. killers that often um, in these early films. It just—I mean, uh, it's kind of not the first Halloween. No, um, but Texas definitely did. Friday didn't. No, Friday doesn't. Texas Friday had an does. outline of someone. Mm-hmm. Um, like Happy Birthday to Me doesn't. Like my, my buddy Valentine does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah okay. So it's so kind of just hit ones. and miss. They, Nightmare definitely does. They just, yes, but also the final girl. Right. So they either choose to highlight a victim. So like what's scarier? So like, for example, happy birthday to me, you know, it's that famous like kebab scene. Yeah. What's going to be scarier to show that or show the killer? Like obviously right. to show that you got to pick what's going to have more impact. And sometimes it ain't the killer. That's true. No, that makes a lot of sense. But in this film, I think – um, if done appropriately, you could definitely like feel the like creepiness of the the killer and their ensemble in this. Yeah. Um, well, and I think most of the Scream movies don't have the killer either. It's the cast. Now that I think about it, Scream Four might be the only one. Does Scream Four even? I feel like Ghostface is on the cover of Scream Four. Yeah, he is. Um, on one of them, but. Yeah, like that one where his face is like a knife. But Scream 1, 2, and 3 are all just the cast. Because the first one has like that famous Drew Barrymore uh -huh. like image. And then 2, it has Courtney Cox and and Nev Campbell. Mm -hmm. And then, or 
or is it Jada Pinkett? It's, it might be Jada Pinkett. And then, yeah, it's Jada Pinkett on the left. Yeah, and then three has Nev's eye in the three. And then the four even had Nev in the four. But there was the other one that was like a... So I guess, yeah, they, they tended to skew away too. Because that cast became what was known, right? Well, right. You know, you, you've got a showcase. It's been really interesting, um, like working with Netflix and just sort of understanding their strategy for how they present their films. Because with a film, you're, you're presenting one, what they call key art. You're presenting one poster that's supposed to represent the entire film. And, you know, sometimes that can be like a little harsh on these, but that's a big responsibility. And it's, I mean, it's impossible. You can't represent the entity of an entire film on a poster. You can get close, but there's always going to be like themes or, you know, ideas that just don't quite come across in a poster. Um, Right. And so that's why they usually have alternative posters. You know, they have like a couple of different versions or they have a version that they're putting on TV because they're thinking, okay, this is going to be for this market, but the main poster is the one that's going to go everywhere. And then they'll have a few different versions um, to try and help sell it. So um, where Netflix does something a little bit different, like at least with their product is that they present multiple images um, so that they don't have to try and convey an entire film in one poster. They try and yeah. convey the films, the themes of the film on individual posters, um, which when you're on a digital platform like they are and you don't have to worry about like, okay, well, we need to pick one that like most people are going to see. And they still have key art for their films. Um, but what you actually see on the site is it like a variety of art. So that's why sometimes when you scroll past, it's like different things. It's because like, well, like you might not like the romance aspect of this storyline of this movie, but you might like like the action parts of the movie. So like here's the poster that represents the action scenes. Um, and they super care about like not misleading you too, which I really like. Um, they do not want you to put something on there that doesn't accurately represent what the film is, which I appreciate. Um, so yeah, if you're talking about movies like Scream, where, you know, yeah, you have a crazy, crazy iconic killer in Ghostface, it just seems absolutely nuts that he's not going to be on the poster, but that cast became so huge and then whoever the supporting new members of each additional film, that was always such a big draw or such a big, like, Oh my God, look who's on the cover. It's Jada Pinkett Smith. Like, right. She's going to be in the second one. Like we've got to see it, you know? When I think too, even with scream, I mean, it became about the killer was always changing. Right. But like the cast, is always somebody different yeah exactly or yeah you know like the scream four poster you're like oh my god like is that emma roberts like what the heck Mm -hmm. like you know it's just that's part of the excitement is figure out like what new like cast members you're gonna see and once again we found a way to turn it into scream um we'll cover it one day Uh, (laughs) our director here is ken hughes and i love that it's ken hughes because ken hughes also did casino royale not the famous james bond movie but it is based on the ian fleming novel of the it's just not considered part of the canon of james bond it was made before all the those movies started but 
More importantly, he also directed the other Ian Fleming movie, which Ian Fleming wrote for his children, which is Chitty Chitty Bing Bing. Uh, which and that is one of my that movie. Exactly. I love that movie, and I love the fact it's one of my favorite bits of trivia that the man who invented James Bond wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for his children. Um, and when you know that going in, it makes so much sense because that movie is all about like gadgets and like there's like inf- like infiltration missions. Um, and it just like totally tracks that it was written by the guy who made James Bond. I could have swore like we've covered him or talked about him on a movie. Um, we've I know we've talked about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang before. I just don't know if it was was because of Ken Hughes or not. I, yeah, I think it was. I just can't remember what project it was for. But anyhow. Um, yeah. This movie is written by a woman, and it is the only movie she ever wrote, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ruth, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this. It's a Bergen, probably. <laughs> Avergon? I don't know. Um, but literally her only credit. Which is a bummer because one, not is it just a bummer because we need more women in the workspace um, of like film, obviously, but it's a really good movie. So it's a shame that she did not get to flex that talent um, and bring us more more movies in general. But I would have also loved more horror movies from her because she knew what she was doing. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Check that out. I always get excited. This is not a high percentage of uh, female, even like just general crew members involved when we go down even for score or editing or cinematography, it's mostly men. Um, yep. She might be one of our only female screenwriters. Uh, there, I know we've had a couple, but I want to, I want to say like three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot out of the 70 movies we've covered. That's not, no. that's not good stats. <laughs> um. The score was done by Brad Fidel. Uh, holy moly, 101 credits, um, mostly uh, television movies um, and TV shows, um, but was part of the music department for True Lies. I just had to bring it up because we both love True Lies. Love True Lies. So, yeah. So um, I also really like the score in this movie. Yeah. And so I was kind of shocked because the score, I think, does the synth thing of the 80s very well. But it also reminded me a lot of the Giallas we've watched. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, it's kind of a blend. Um, and it's, like, really good at building suspense and, like, the slow motion. Because, like, the, there's all these, like, slow motion kills. And I thought, like, the score went really well with it. It wasn't, like, cheesy. And I was totally expecting when I was, like, when we were looking into who made it to find some like genre guy um because i was like yeah this sounds like someone who totally knows like what they're doing and he's done a ton of stuff but it's all like tv movies and tv episodes and very little bits like genre he kind of he's everywhere i mean he like when i was looking he's done like a bunch of like science fiction stuff a bunch of like um just like crime stuff um it just kind of bounces all over the place so uh, but I really like I'm not the score person like if you've listened to past episodes a score has to like stand it has to be like outrageously bad mm-hmm. or like distinctively good to actually like stand out to me and there was like definitely a point when I was rewatching where I was like oh I really like this score uh, so I, that was actually just kind of surprising to me because there's been a couple times where we look it up I'm like oh that makes sense they've done like you know 10 other movies like something genre it um, um, it was yeah. edited by Robert M. Ritano. 
um, mm-hmm. who did Sleepless in Seattle, which you just watched for the first time, right? I did, yes. which is why I included it. Yeah. <laughs> and Serpico? Serpico. It was like a spy movie. Yeah, it was big when it came out, um, which is why I threw it on there. But Sleepless in Seattle, I had to put because I always love seeing major tonal shifts. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I just always find it like humorous when it's like he edited Sleepless in Seattle, which is like one of the, in my opinion, one of the best love stories ever put to film. And then he... Yeah, I I've watched it three times since I was I watched it when I like literally right when I moved down here, and I've watched it three times. I've watched You've Got Mail twice. <laughs> like You've Got Mail is cute. It's, it didn't and age I, as well. It was my favorite as a kid. I was obsessed with it as a kid, and then I've gone back as an adult and like, oh, this one isn't like did not age as well. The other stuff is really good. Like the not internet stuff is really cute, but like mm-hmm. ever like. All, all the internet stuff i'm like it's just it, you date your movie so yeah, terribly so focused on aol <laughs> yeah like people who watch that now literally are gonna be like what the fuck is that yeah. like it's not even like one of those things that like it's not like a piece of like technology that is part of time you know like that pe- everyone knows what it is it's like uh okay i know so would you say that's your favorite uh meg ryan rom-com um when Harry met Sally, it's fine. I do really like when Harry met Sally, but I really, I think I gotta give it to right. Maybe it's just because it's more recent, but Sleepless in Seattle and like Tom Hanks is like okay. Tom Hanks is also one of those guys that every time someone's like, "I love Tom Hanks," I'm like, "He's fine," and then I watch Tom Hanks movie and I'm like, "Why would I ever say I he's just <laughs> Tom Hanks is a <laughs> national treasure?" <laughs> yeah, like, and no, I, I'm always like, yeah, "Yeah, he's fine." He seems like he but, should be so generic, right? His films feel like they should be generic, and then you yeah. literally watch anything he's in. I watched Toy Story four this morning for like the fifth time this week because <laughs> Liam's on a new movie and we got to roll with it. Because if I watch right. Moana one more time. <laughs> explode and so we're like all right toy story cool cool let's ride with it we'll watch them all and i freaking cried and i'm like god i like casually watching it and then they're freaking like to infinity and beyond i'm just like crying i'm like you guys are so good well and sleepless in seattle too is like one of the only movies i've ever watched because i'm like i've never in my life looked at tom hanks and like he's an attractive man um, like I think he's charming for sure, uh-huh. but like Sleepless in Seattle, he's so charming it makes him attractive. And I was like, oh, okay, I can see it now. Yeah, I think uh, maybe it's an age thing. I definitely always thought like his jeans did better. Like I think Colin Hanks is very attractive, so I feel like his jeans just worked better in his son. Also, his wife yeah. is really pretty. He does have a twinkle in his eyes that's impossible to replicate, though. Yeah. So national treasure i say yes. too bad he wasn't in this movie i know <laughs> what was tom hanks up to in 1981 i don't know was he on booze and buddies i, don't, I think this is even pre booze and buddies Boozum? i'm not sure how you say buzzum oh Boozum? right i always okay growing up i thought it was booze and buddies <laughs> so with peter scolari yeah i know um also, to bring it back to Scream, our cinematographer is Mark Irwin, who did Scream. Um, he also did 10 Things I Hate About You, which is one of the other movies I think is one of the best romantic comedies of all time. Uh, he did Old School, threw that on there for Ben, and then also Robocop 2. 
Um, but he is incredibly prolific. Uh, he has 139 credits. Almost all of them are in movies like this, like movies that everyone knows, uh, which is why that review of Mark Irwin's cinematography almost makes up for it. Um, makes sense. He is a pro, like straight up, okay. uh, just a very talented cinematographer. This is crazy because do you know what I realized when I was watching this? Huh. I was like, this is it. It's an urban horror film I like. Oh, wow. All it took was Mark Irwin, huh? Yeah, yeah I guess so. That's interesting. Because it's really yeah. gray. It's super and gray. It's, set it's very gray. The city and like, it's not like it's freaking like Cambridge, Boston, you know, this is like the city of Boston. This is very urban. Yeah. And when I finished mm. it, I was like, oh my God, holy shit. I love this movie and it's fucking urban. I did it. I found it. Wow. Finally found one, and all it took was, I don't know, Mark Irwin, and like, we'll give credit to Ken Hughes and Ruth Avergon yeah. of Vergen. Sorry, Ruth. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If you ever listen to the show, please let me know how to pronounce your last name. Hit us up. Keep screaming yeah. cast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, this cast didn't do anything. Like, I was going through it today. Uh, B did most of the like so ever before every episode we like do the research for it and it's usually all B. I'll give her all that credit. Um, and today I actually was trying to be thoughtful and I was like I'll do it because I know she's at work and she had a long week and she had already done it. Um, but she had she didn't do the crew or the cast or she had already done the cast but she hadn't like put what they were in. So I was like looking through it and I was like oh she didn't put what they're in because no one's in anything notable. Uh. So, yeah, they just – it's a big cast, and I included – I had to include that because, again, I just think it's really funny when someone goes all the way into the opposite genre. So – Yeah, uh, so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, we have – we will give them their credit. So Rachel World, yes. Ward as Eleanor Adagi, um, who is, like, our main character in the film um, – Leonard Mann as Lieutenant Jed Austin, who I would say is like our other main character. He is the cop investigating the murders. Um, Drew Snyder as Vincent Millett. He was in Commando, Firestarter, and Firestarter like Drew Barrymore. Okay. War Games. Um, uh, Joseph R. Sakari as Taj, who's in Kicking and Screaming, The Benchwarmers, and Isn't It Romantic? I just loved it because... So, like, we oh, get, you know, Drew Snyder, who went to go and be on in a bunch of 80s stuff, which tracks. But then Joseph Sakari is, like, nothing in the 80s. And then suddenly in the last, like, 15 years was, like, I'm just going to be in a bunch of, like, weird comedies. And I believe he's uh, – that's the owner of the restaurant. It yeah. is, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um, he's got to be, like, getting up there in age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I would be interested to like, see what it looks like. And I saw that movie, Isn't It Romantic? I could not tell you a single thing that happens in it. Um, it was... Yeah, I didn't watch it. I know you don't like it. Not good. <laughs> it was uh, not for me, but that's okay. He was born in 39. Oh, wow. So it's last year was 2019. So how many years is that? He's 81. No, he's 90. 91. Yeah, he's old. So he was 90 he's years old in Isn't This Romantic? Or Isn't It Romantic? My bad. Wow. 
Interesting. Also, a miscellaneous crew in Hercules. I wonder what that means. Especially the, the animated, animated movie. Hercules. Yeah, let me yeah. Like, the animated movie. That makes me think he had to be like one of like the random citizen voices or something. It, it's a like voice actor or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, Nicholas Karras as Gus, Karen McDonald as Carol, Annette Miller as Helen Griffin, Bill McCann as Gary, uh, Margot Skinner as Steve Cabot. I love how it's like hit or miss if they have last names. It's like some yeah. do, some don't. Like it's mostly the women hmm, that tracks. And I think it's because they're the victims, so they give yeah. them a last name. Give them a little honor. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Barnett as Kim Morrison, Holly Hardman as Kathy, Meb Bowden, uh, what a name, as Anne Barron, Leonard Corman as Priest. There's a, I don't, is there a priest in this movie? Um, Belle McDonald as Marjorie Armand, and Ed Higgins as the coroner. Big old cast. Big old cast. Um, so yeah, those are the people who got to work on this film. Good job, guys. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think all around it was well acted. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely thought, like, I think the detective is probably, uh, I do think our lead, our our lead, um, is Rachel Ward, is um, a bit soapy yes. at times. Um, a bit dramatic. Yeah, but I also think that's part of the role. Um, and I thought Leonard Mann like did really good actually as the mm-hmm. detective because because honestly, a lot of times when there's detectives, they annoy me. <laughs> um, I feel like all really similarly played, right? Like just like hard, like a very hard, like typical cop detective. Like I'm just gonna figure this out, kind of like, and like they are so personally victimized by the case. Like that seems to always be like when we have these police involved slashers. And right. I'm like, you're not even dead. Like, get out of here. You're perfectly safe. They're not coming after you. Like, shut the fuck up. Right. And it's interesting that the next movie we're covering, Trick, kind of does take that because they do come after the cops, yeah. but also the cops are 100% within that trope of like the hardened cop, yeah. you know, that is, is super victimized. Yeah. Um, but I liked him in this because I just felt like it did a good job of just like, he is a detective with no connection other th- to this case, other than he is a detective who's mm-hmm. trying to solve this case. Yeah. And uh, I feel like he comes across like in, you know, he doesn't get a ton of time and like a ton mm-hmm. to work with. We get a little bit of development with him. Like we see him with his significant other and, you know, she's kind of like begrudged that he has to go into work on his day off. And so we kind of like get a little insight to him, but like he just comes off the screen as like super charming and without any real like material or something to get there. It's just a nice, like, you just feel like he's a nice guy. Yeah. I also thought he was very handsome. Yeah. Like, I was like, the, I was like, oh, he's, he's a handsome guy. Yeah. For real. <laughs> Normally, Ryan's like, oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with all of these people? I actually thought, you know what? We should have looked at the costumer because I, I, there were numerous people. I was like, that is a nice outfit. Wow. Man, yeah. that's cool. Just breaking all the rules for us. I know. It's kind of incredible. Wow. Um, it can be classified a couple different ways. It's definitely like police procedural. 
um, when we're following the detective. And then when we're following, um, you know, our killer or Eleanor, it's more like school campus slasher and very like Giallo-ish. Um, yeah. Oh, it's just funny that Ryan brought up uh, Trick because that is our next uh, movie. Um, and they kind of have these similar th- themes and both having cops involved and like as we were we watched trick together uh like remotely uh and he like sat right up on his like own little chair with, <laughs> with the freaking facetime on the ipad and like yep. set him up and we'd be like yeah right and he'd be like huh oh yeah 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 <laughs> as he's like in bed watching the movie <laughs> like, oh, it's like, yeah. um yeah. But I was like, after we watched that, I was like, man, like, I guess I just didn't really think about it. But I feel like this is almost like an either or situation in a lot of films where like either we get our final girl, which we don't in this movie, or we get our like story of following the cop. Sometimes it's both. But for the most part, if we don't have a final girl, it's often because we're following a detective or a police officer who kind of takes that role of mm-hmm. the final role in giving us the, like, here's the case from the other side and from somebody right. who isn't going to die the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I do feel like that we see that a lot more with these Giallo inspired films because a lot of those Giallos are from a detective POV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like all of that tracks too. So yeah, if you like, if, and this might be, you know, kind of like, like a slight, not format change, but something like if we're not discussing the final girl, cause we don't have one. I mean, we'd be discussing our, our cop who is our, our detective and who, who acts in Lou as like our final survivor Our he's like the vessel to tell the story um, all the way through because he's not going to die. Right. Well, and then, so, you know, what's interesting with this one, because we're about to get to the body count and then the killer, um, we are led to believe we are following the final girl the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, you know, we lose that. So, because um, the, so our killer is Eleanor. Um, and so Eleanor is basically when, um, when these killings start happening, um, you know, they they find out that it is it's a vic- the first victim is a student of this night school. Um, and so they go to speak to one of her professors. And then the next victim is also had like had that class. So he becomes like a main suspect. And he also like is teaching this course on like, um, f- like, uh, different like kind of like, um, kind of like tribalism and like, um, foreign culture. And it's it seems like as the more these like killings are happening, they seem to fall in line with um, this like ritual that he teaches in his class. And um, the whole way through with Eleanor, um, we it plays it like she is almost always being chased or stalked um, and just avoiding the killer. Like the lot of it's a very smart like camera work and pacing and script work to make you feel like um you never know i don't know like so eleanor is our killer and like did you watching this like did you ever feel like it was her because i i you know there's the guy in the diner that is like the obvious red herring right um like who's like stalks her home oh, and is uh-huh. kind of 
he's just like kind of a pervert. Yeah. Um, but he's like, you know, it's like almost every horror movie has that like obvious red herring. You're like, well, they want us to think it's that guy, but it's obviously not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the professor is like, seems like the obvious one. But like, as the movie goes on, you start thinking like, well, he's pretty weird. And like, this stuff is pretty weird. Like, you know, he's coming into our house. Like they do that whole framing shot of him at the front door. And then he comes in through the side when she's in the shower. And then there's that whole scene in the shower where he's like painting her with that fruit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ryan, how'd that make you uh, feel? Um, man, that scene was so weird. Like, well, first of all, I just didn't like how he's like painting her with this fruit. And it's like pointless because the shower is immediately washing it off. And I get what they're going for. He's like trying to paint her like these tribes do. And like put this like body paint on her and i'm like it's not working bro you're in the shower like it's washing That's it off point, but also- right? so they can participate in that but it not be like messy or dirty it's sensual no it's not sensual also it was weird that he's like painting her with this fruit and she's making weird orgasm mm-hmm. noises like from her Tell like i'm sensual. like no no i refuse to believe that any woman gets off by being painted with fruit and like maybe if you touch like delicate areas but like erogenous zones not just like touching not painting her face with fucking fruit and she's literally like moaning and i was like okay i can't (laughs) i can't with this or i don't know maybe i'll be proving you just need to get inside with your more central your yeah Maybe one day I'll hit you up and I'll be like, B, I painted a woman in the shower and it was incredibly erotic. I get it now. It all makes sense. <laughs> it tracks. It tracks. Um, B, do you want to tell everyone what her motive is? I feel like this is something you should talk about. Sure. Um, yeah. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I saw some annoyance in there. Um. Yeah, so I mean, it makes sense that this is written by a female because it feels very like pro-women. And I say that because, so her motive, she's pregnant. She is in a relationship with this professor. Um, He is her boss, right? She's let, where I think she was like, she works for him. She's not a student. No, she's his assistant. She's his assistant. Um, But he is having inappropriate affairs with his students, like multiple. multiple. He is a womanizer for sure. And openly flirting around her. And they are like in a, you know, quote unquote, like serious relationship to the point where like, you know, they're at each other's houses and whatever. I don't know. Maybe they even live together. Wasn't like. I think they live together. Yeah. They live together. So they kind of play in with this whole theme of like what they do and like studying these tribes and what she's done is sort of taken on this role of like the typical male character, like the male role, like gender role of protecting her family. So Mm -hmm. she sees a threat to her child and to her, um, you know, potential spouse, which is what she's wanting. Like she's wanting to get married to him and have a family unit. And she sees those threats and she's taking care of them. And she's doing that in a very violent, (laughs) a very violent and efficient way. Um, They will be gone forever, never to bug her or her family again. Um, And so, yeah, it just feels very much like, a like woman taking control of a situation and recognizing that that would 
in that culture would have been an appropriate thing for a man to do for his family. So why can't she do it for hers? Um, mm-hmm. Which I think, fuck. I mean, great motive. <laughs> I love yeah, it. No, I, 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 I like the motive. I just think, um, and I, I just hate like, I mean, we'll get to it later with your quote, but like the dismissiveness of the man, but, but I like it knowing it's written by a woman because she's totally right. Like, she's like, oh yeah. Like he just writes it off as like, oh, this is why. Yeah, um, and there's and even like, that like whole, one of our victims is like the professor who like kind of seduces one of her students um, and they have like a sexual relationship and she goes there and like, it's like, she's going to... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just there's definitely like some gender role stuff going on in this film that I picked up on that similar like when you watch um Slumber Party Massacre, where like after you finish the movie, you go, This was not written by a man. Like you can just tell. Um, and that's what this film feels like. Like at the end of it, you go, like, okay, like that, like the dots connect. Like I can see the perspective here is different. Yeah. Um, she, the iconic weapon is a knife. It is, it is a certain type of knife. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now to try to find it. Cause it's the, it's like really large and it has this like bend in it. Um, I, I don't know everything. It's usually I'm my question says, to ask. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what yeah, kind, of, what kind a, of knife is that? It's, it is a type of machete. It is a combat machete. That's what it because is. Because I'm assuming it's similar to what the, tribes would have used correct yes yeah yeah so it is it is a combat machete um and that is the weapon that she uses pretty much exclusively throughout the entire film um so we definitely get like an iconic weapon here um yeah no final girl um like be mentioned earlier like we have our detective kind of in lieu of that role um and we follow him and then we you know we are led to believe that we have a final girl. And then in the last, I mean, it's literally in the last like 10 minutes of the movie that we get the reveal. Uh, and it kind of like flips everything. Um, it's a small kill count, but it's very effective. I mean, especially small six isn't like terribly small. That's actually pretty average for a slasher. Like that we cover. Yeah, but the we're covering trick next week and it's got like twenty seven. So like <laughs> there's so many. It's crazy. Yeah. We're just like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. It's definitely like well into the twenties. I was like I was trying to do the kill count today and I was like watching the YouTube video. I'm like, well, none of these people have names. And so I'm just like, boy, mutilated, boy, stabbed, girl, like slashed. I'm like, oh my Something god, this kill count is so to. And just a friendly reminder to watch trick because it will be our next episode yes um but yeah so we have six um i love this opening one so it's much so good it sets you off i mean guys all know if you listen to the podcast i'm a sucker <laughs> for the opening kill like it just really really just gets me all jolly um <laughs> love it this one's yeah. so suspenseful and it's just like just sets a perfect tone for this movie. So it's just this girl like outside of the campus and she's um she like works at a school. Yeah, I'm assuming it's this school. Um well, cause she's like all the kids are gone, so 
I, I don't felt know. like it was like she was she's oh I, I she's a daycare. I just looked at okay. she's works at a daycare. And uh she gets on the merry-go-round like as our killer is like coming towards her and it's this whole scene of like her like trying to duck while she's like on the merry-go-round and the killer's just taunting her um Mm -hmm. and just taunting her with it and like going to like swipe and then like stopping and like purposely like letting her go around and around before she's decapitated um it's it's awesome um i will say it's a bummer we don't really see anything like there's no gore in this movie um and like everything is done uh strategically to uh not really see much which is a bummer but i would rather have that than have it done poorly Uh, right and also i think this movie too like they do a good job of like it's all about where the heads are found, right? Well, right. Like yeah. that's a big part of the movie. It's the after, which I also love. So that works for me. I think one of the most suspenseful parts in the movie is literally just the discovering of one of the heads. Oh, oh my God, yeah. that scene. Even just watching it again, I was like, this scene is so good. Uh-huh. It's, ridiculous. it's like, I think one of the best. Um. Yeah. By the way, Wikipedia has a feel. It, I was right. It is a. It's a battle machete, but it has a. It's a curry, which is from um, India. So yes, it is. Uh, it's a tribal machete that is used in combat. There we go. The more you know. Yeah. Um, so that sets us off in like the you know the general story of the movie where so Judd is investigating this case and he's led to Wendell College where he's led to our professor. Um, and while he's investigating, these murders keep happening. So the first one is that one on the carousel. Um, the merry-go-round. Or the merry-go-round. Um, and then, like, his partner does tell him that there was someone who was killed the week before, and her head was found in a pond. So, like, we're aware that this is actually the second killing. Yeah. Um, and that's a kill off screen. And there was a line, and I should have wrote it down. I couldn't remember it. And it was like, but he, like, literally says, like, He's like, oh, yeah, but the killer decided to do this. And he's like, oh, so he went the old head in the pond way, did he? And I'm like, oh, is that just like something that happens frequently enough that you guys were like, oh, it was the old head in the pond act? No, it was definitely pretty funny. Like some nice lighthearted moments between the two detectives that I enjoyed. Yeah. And like his detective partner was really funny. Yeah. Like the whole way through. I thought he was really good too. Like, because he definitely plays a straight man and uh-huh. his partner's like the cop and like that bit works and it's not overdone because like, his partner doesn't pop up oh my often. god and like town that dreaded send down oh my god and then that movie turned into like a, a wacky <laughs> like comedy for like a full 20 minutes in that weird, like weird cops like oh, dressing. Was, oh my yeah. god up as women and i was like wait, what movie are we watching what happened yeah, that was so odd. Such such a weird tonal shift in that film. That... <laughs> and like the music even changed. It like it almost <laughs> felt like it was like the bam 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 bam. Yeah, it just does not do that. No, it was like the perfect amount of lightness for mm-hmm. for the dread for sure. Yeah. Um, and we're introduced like all of our main characters here. So we meet like Professor Millet. We meet um, uh, Eleanor. Um, like we meet this red herring busboy, Gary, who follows Eleanor home one day. Um, and there's the whole sexy shower incident. Um, and then the next kill is the aquarium kill. 
Um, which, by the way, I also every woman who wears underwear in this movie, all of their underwear is sheer, like all of it. By the way, I just had to point that out because that was something I noticed. Maybe that's <laughs> like, just how they made them in the eighties. Maybe I guess, um, but it was like something that I like because. I mean, there's nudity in this too, but like a lot of the women get down to their underwear and all of it is sheer. Cause like Kim's in the aquarium. She is like, her job is to feed the animals. So she's like getting out of her scuba suit. And I'm like, oh, she's also wearing like a sheer undergarment. Um, and then she is decapitated. Um, and this, I mean, this is another great scene. She's decapitated. So our killer too is like, yeah, wearing, you know, the motorcycle helmet and everything comes in, decapitates her. And there's a woman who's looking at like the turtles and this head, this head falls on the turtle. First of all, like it hits the turtle, I, you know, because they can't predict where the turtle's going to be. And then the the best part is the turtle tries to eat, uh-huh. it, which I loved. Like in the, I mean, I just thought that whole scene's great. Like you see, just the what they ch- how they chose to do it, right? Like literally from inside the tank, you see the woman like looking in, uh-huh. and like her, her face change, and then we see the head drop. And I don't know, I just like I love. I love all the reveals in this. Like they, yeah. they play it so so smart. No, totally agree. Um, I think it's a great solution and like uh, a nice strategy for like a different form of scare. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then our next skill is Carol, who is our um, our waitress, and this is an incredible scene. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of introduced to her because this is when our um, our professor and Eleanor, like, she reveals to him that she's pregnant um, and that – and he's like, oh, okay. And, like, I forget exactly what he, he says but, like, alludes to the fact that it'd be okay. Like, she gives him the idea that he's not, like, opposed to her keeping the baby she was like, oh, like, I can keep it. Like, I think we should get married. And <laughs> it's my favorite quote, instantly recognize it. Uh, I should have known this is why you've been acting crazy. That's like the first thing he says to her when she says she's pregnant. I'm like, can't fucking say that. That's not how you respond to a pregnancy. Like, also, how fucking misogynistic and psycho do you have to be to call a woman crazy because she's carrying a child like god damn and it's your child you piece of shit yeah your child oh good lord i was like and then he purposely flirts with carol and then she's like wow why do you have to do that he's like what are you talking about we're just having fun i'm like oh my god this guy like he needs to die. These women need to stop dying and he needs to die. And this is very much when you're like at your height of believing like he's the killer. Like he's got to be. Yeah. Like he's flirting with these women and like finding them just so he can kill them. Like because – Well, and they so do a good job of like setting it up. Right. And they do a good job too of like setting it up so he's always like around the woman before uh-huh. she dies. Like Kim was one of the women in his classroom that he was like comforting mm-hmm. or whatever. So, and then we get Carol here. Right. So she goes, she's killed again, like decapitation. It's not the kills necessarily that are that fascinating. It's how their heads are found by the detectives. And this is truly, this is the scene we were talking about where I think like, <laughs> it's, so, it's good. so good. And like one of the best, like in like the, re- it's like the raft scene from the burning where you're just like, 
certain parts of scenes from movies are just like the best. This is probably like one of the best like kill reveals ever. So we have our cook, like he's coming in with like a couple regulars and he can't understand like why the shop wasn't closed down properly. Like I think even like the doors weren't locked and he's like, oh, what the fuck is she doing? Like what the hell? There's like two tables over. Yeah. Uh, And like could tell like the place was like half shut down and they're like, okay, like what do you want? Like, okay, we want some stew. Like we just need something warm. And so he goes in the back he like sees the pot of stew. And of course we're like, well, for sure her head's in there. Like, guaranteed it well yeah yeah like her head has got to be in there he's like heating it up and then he serves it to the guys and they're like oh yeah mine tastes a little funny i'm like oh my god oh my god it's because her head is in there and he's like oh it tastes funny so he goes back and he starts to like drain the stew like into another pot just to kind of see what's up her head's not in there yeah because one of the guys finds fucking her hair in his mouth and so you're definitely like her head is in that fucking stew. He drained it. There's no head. And then, so we're like, fuck, okay, well, what does that mean? And then he's like kind of going like around the kitchen, like in the back a little bit. Like, and he's like, oh, this isn't where it's supposed to be. And like, he opens the fridge and like, you don't see, like, then you're like, okay, like her head's for sure going to be there. And it's not. It's just a bunch of meat yeah. and like they keep doing it. Like he opens the fridge and it's like that shot where you expect to see the head and then it's just like a bunch of meat. And then like there's a bunch of boxes in the fridge though, right? And he keeps opening all the boxes and you're like, her fucking head's going to be in there and it's not in any of the boxes. Yeah, it's so good. And then um, where does it actually end up being? Well, so then he does the – he grabs the bag on the top of the fridge, which this is my one of my favorite because he grabs the bag in two – head like objects roll out of the bag mm-hmm. and then finally he goes to drain the sink. oh yes 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 okay yeah because yeah. i was like no it's not in the it's not in the fridge yeah so then he finally yeah goes over to the sink and like sees that the sink is full he like pulls the drain and it's like not draining very well and he's like looking at it going what the heck and then like sees her hair and like pulls up her head and yep. like right it's, there. You, well, and it's cool too because it's a really cool effect. Like as the water is starting to like drain and get closer, you can like see the features of her face. It looks really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And just the lead up is it's literally like three minutes of him looking around and them doing the classic shot of, you know, someone opening a fridge, someone pulling a bag down, like that classic shot where it's revealed, you know, oh my God, like they figure it out. And then it's this very slow reveal in the sink. And I just fucking love the build up there. Mm-hmm. It is so smartly done, like ridiculously good. Um, So at this point, uh, Judd goes back to the professor's home. He finds all these heads from tribal headhunters. And that's when he's definitely like, okay, it's fucking him. Um, and like, he's convinced that it's him. Um, and then like, we go to the other professor's house that B was talking about, like she, like, so it's the professor. Well, it's not the professor. It's like the administrator. Mm -hmm. She fired her and she's also seducing female students though. And so she has a student back at her house who was seduced by this male professor who she is now taking advantage of her emotional vulnerability to seduce Mm -hmm. her, which is super fucked up. Um, and while this is happening, um 
while this is happening, the guy who followed Eleanor home is watching from the window, by the way, Gary, the bus boy. Uh, but also Helene, it's their names are Helene and Kathy. They're both killed by the killer. Um, so like the phone rings, the killer gets one of them. And then Kathy goes to like, look for Helene and finds her head in the toilet. Um, and then when that happens, she's like grabbed behind, um, behind this door and like stabbed from behind. Um, and that's probably like the most actual violent one we mm-hmm. see on screen. Um, this leads to our end though. So Judd like follows the killer back to the professor's house. Like he gets, he's like onto what's going on and like follows, the, he gets there, he follows the killer back to the professor's house. And this is when we get our big reveal. Like the killer walks into the house, takes the helmet off and it's Eleanor. Yeah, like her hair shakes her hair out. out. Yeah. yeah. And does her sort and, of villain like monologue. Yeah, and the professor is just like, what are you doing? And she does the whole, you know, like spills the whole thing, and the cops are all outside. Um, And this is like the only redeeming thing the professor does, right? He realizes that if she goes outside, they're going to kill her. So he puts on the gear, and there's this like chase scene all throughout Boston, um, uh, like of the motorcycle, which is a pretty actually cool Mm -hmm. chase scene going through there's like multiple cop cars um judd keeps calling in like apbs so like new cop cars keep showing up and the motorcycle is like going and then finally they set up a um a roadblock and they shoot him and he like flies over the hood of the car on his partner's car and like his helmet's taken off and it's revealed that he put the outfit on so we all know that it's not him but the cops all think it yeah, is. they all think he's the killer and our actual killer has escaped and that's how it um, ends. Yeah. Well, there's the psych out at the end, which oh, I really yes. enjoy. Um, the cop gets in his car, and then, like, the killer pops up in the backseat, and then it, he, he's, like, getting strangled, and then his partner, like, takes the helmet off, and he's like, ah, I'm just messing with you. And he literally goes, who do you think it was? The headhunter? <laughs> that's how the movie yeah. ends. Um, yeah. So that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it does. It's very like like they do a funeral and everything, and it shows her like walk away. She yeah. gets away like scot free. Yeah, the de- and you can tell the detective suspicious, right? Because he like talks to yes. her and it's like, you know, like you can put this past you, blah blah blah. Like you you know that he's like doesn't quite believe it was that cut and dry, but yeah, there we go. Um, what's your favorite kill? Um. I mean, my favorite kill is the first one. Right. It's just uh, really, I mean, packs a punch in the very beginning, sets sets you up for suspense. I love when you see the killer right away. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, it's not the best reveal, but I think it's the best actual like interaction between the victim and our killer. Um, I think, I mean, I agree with you. It's like definitely the best kill, but I have to give it to, um, Carol, the, um, the soup. Yeah. The soup, the soup, the whole soup scene. is just like so incredible for me. Like that's something now I've seen three times and like every time I watch it, I'm still like, this is still so good. And like, I forgot too where it was. So I was like, where is uh-huh. it? I was like, I know it's coming, but I was like, where is it? So, um, this is definitely like a it's still a cult classic it definitely has like it's very like um like vocal fans um but it's um it's on that level of like if you get past your like normal like 
top tier stuff when you start digging like this will be on that first list of like slashers slashers you may have missed um it definitely has like that recognition i do think it will see like an even bigger come up and sooner or later like it's going to get like a, some super dope screen factor release eventually and like it'll get like some big revival at some point because it's just it's very very well done um and like i still don't think it gets recognized for all the things that it could get recognized for like everything b pointed out about how you can tell that this is you know not written by a man and how it was it was written by a woman and it's very like switches a lot of identity roles like gender roles so i think um yeah um i do think there's still like a lot to be dug up about this movie and appreciated agreed all right um yeah so at the end of every episode yeah we got to rank it so if you don't know at the end of every episode we rank our movies you can find that list at keepscreaming.com slash the the dash list this will be our 60 <laughs> 69th movie all right um wow yeah i had to it's a good number um great number yeah 69 is the only dinner for two um yes so what are you thinking this is a tough one um because it's a great movie but how does it hold up as a slasher in your eyes yeah, I think um, hmm. I mean, it's a slasher, 100%. Oh, yeah. Um it's 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 just so different and it doesn't really follow the formula, but like it figures out a way to make that work. Well, like I said, it's almost like something we might have to well, not necessarily like reevaluate, but like add into like our like, yeah, we're docking points for the final girl, but we're understanding that they're still giving us our final survivor in the cop, and that's just mm-hmm. a different avenue. Right, uh, and I just, I also just like can't. It has to like so much credit I give to them for making them making us think we're following a final girl mm-hmm. the whole movie, and then flipping it on its head. It's like, psych, it's not your final girl. Like it's the killer. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, this is a hard one to rank. I mean, so it's missing like that classic, po- like you know, past. Trauma. Yeah, there's no like familiar aspects to this. There's no past trauma or even like past scenario that's then coming back to relate this, like relate to our current killings. Um, we have like the weird kind of final girl situation where we think she's our final girl, but she ends up being our killer. Um, which happens like that's a frequent, uh, a semi-frequent trope that is used. Um, and our detective like lead, which is also uh-huh. a thing that we, yeah, we do that see. That is a slasher trope for sure. Um, that's, you know, like that's, that's what happens in child's play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, that's what like these movies end up being sort of like middle ground, like middle of the road because, they are still like slat like true blue slashers like there's no doubt it's not like um movies where you go well like it's mostly like dream home where you're like it's mostly a slasher it's so slasher inspired but like doesn't follow so much of that formula um to really get you there like maniac you know some of the more like early ones um where this one doesn't do that but it does just um not quite hit like the blueprint notes where it's not like true blue, uh, it's just a little bit different, which not to its detriment, like to its benefit for sure. 
Um, um, we're lacking interesting kills. Um, we have great kill reveals though. So, I mean, I think that really makes up for it. Um, that are super inventive, um, such Mm -hmm. as a different way to do it. Um, we've got, uh, a killer with, uh, iconic weapon with a, you know, a specific outfit, you know, with a mask. Uh, we've got, uh, a good motive, um, you know, avenging sort of her relationship, her family, protecting her child, you know, trying to have a family unit, um, as fucked up as that is, you know, most of our slasher motives are, <laughs> but like there yeah. is a motive, you know, that can be right. seen. A lot of people kill uh, for passion. Um, <laughs> I'm looking, so I'm looking right around here, um, like right around here. It kind of falls in line with a lot of these, like, um, like 29 Intruder, you know, like we get these inventive kills, but there's no like pass anything, you know, like our killer is just this guy who's pissed yeah, or whatever. Yeah, in uh, the grocery store. Yeah, Happy Birthday to Me actually it pulls a lot of like similar stuff. It's also GLO inspired, um, but it has like, you know, that excellent, amazing like final scene in there. I mean, Happy Birthday to Me is like really good. Like I'm looking at like Promenade Mutilator, Happy Birthday, these three, even most likely to die a little bit, it kind of falls in all of these, mm-hmm. right? Because... Um, like the most likely that I motive isn't like great. Like I understand what they are going for the whole like bully thing, but also it's not like wonderful. Um, but it kind of, it kind of just, I feel like it fits in somewhere right in here. Yeah. I feel like most likely to die in prom night. Let's see. Um, why am I forgetting the mutilator? Oh yeah. yeah just kidding. Spring break. Yeah, spring break. No fall break. Spring break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fall break. Yeah, that's right. Because we we're like, what the fuck's fall break? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. um. Okay. So yeah, I would say most likely to die and prom night are both more successful slashers. Yes. I feel like they follow the tropes better. Um. And do them well. Um. Mm. Where I feel like the mutilator and happy birthday to me like deviate from the the tropes a bit. Um. And. I mean, I still think. I mean, Mutilator has that fucking scene in the beginning. Remember, it's like it's the kid kills his mom by cleaning that gun. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's making pie. Yeah. I don't know that scene. And then it's me. like this weird, like sitcom vibe for like you know yeah. thirty minutes of the movie, like really tonally strange. And then they get to the house, and like you know, it's great. I can't really. I can't even remember. Do we have a? We don't have any information on the killer in that one, right? It's the dad. Oh, right, right, right. You know, he's pissed because yeah. he's held, I mean, it's done, so it's the yeah. dad and he kills him. So, so it's like, um, okay. Right. And so I feel like it's like, you could probably like switch yeah. the, like that and the mutilator out. Um, because the mutilator, like you said, it spends so much of that time with those weird sitcom vibes, but the vibes are, I mean, but the kills are so They're good. Like um, incredible for sure. Um, yeah. but it, it de- definitely lacks, um, in some of the, and then, you know, it's got the family and the past and present thing in that one too. And, um, so it like hits those notes for sure. It just has some weird tonal shifts. Um, hmm. So I, this is definitely like where it belongs, but I'm trying to figure out like where, like where belongs, maybe right? above right. intruder. Let's see. Happy birthday to me. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that just feels more like a slasher. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. I mean, we get that big, that big like uh-huh. final reveal and everything, like which is just so incredible. Mm-hmm. And then we get like all those like really good, like, I think this is where happy birthday to me beats it. Right. Not only do we get that incredible reveal, the kills are really mm-hmm. good. So we get like both of yeah. those. We do get, we do get like an actual final girl. Um, yeah. So I, th- but I think it is better than intruder and it follows a lot of the same like deviations from the tropes. Right. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm happy with it at number 29. That's good. That's sometimes I look, I'm like, no, that's too low. But then I'm like, we've done 70 movies. It's actually like really, it's on the, it's on the top half. Oh yeah. That's, you know? that's high these days for sure. Which is nuts. Crazy yeah. list. It's so, so fun to look over it. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. So that's number, uh, our new number 25. Number one is still Nightmare on Elm Street, followed by My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas from 74. And then rounding out the bottom are both the April Fool's Days and Girls Night Out. Um, and we will be back. Uh, this next episode you hear will actually not be two weeks away. We're fitting four into a month. So we will be back with Trick soon. And then we will also be covering Hellfest. So if you guys want to give that movie a watch, you can to follow along. Um, and until then, keep screaming. <laughs> <laughs>